Thanks for tuning in. The following audio is from Redemption Church, located in the heart of San Francisco, California. We are a multi-ethnic intergenerational church that exists to make disciples. For more information, visit www.redemptionsf.com. I want to turn our attention to uh, God's Word now, and it's really my privilege this week to close out this sermon series that we've been going through for the last few weeks. We've entitled it Coming Home. And if you've been with our church for the last few weeks, you, you would have heard and you would have like just understood the heart behind this sermon series. And it's really been about addressing those who have doubt, who have questions, uh, people who are wondering what does it look like to follow Jesus, to walk with Jesus and his church, even when we have questions, even when we're wrestling with our faith. And so um, it's my, my privilege to, to close out this series. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to walk in community together. And today's going to be a little bit different in, um, in the sense that I'm going to give us a short word. Okay, I promise to try to keep it short. Um, and then afterwards, we're actually going to invite some people up within our own community so that you can hear from them. Um, just over some of the things that we've talked about in this sermon series. We know um, just how... how Sometimes just hearing from a pastor um, about things like doubt or things like the church can seem a little unrelatable. And so we just wanted to invite some people within our own body to kind of share with us some of the ways that they've wrestled over these issues. And so we're going to do that at the end. Um, But right now, I just want to turn our attention to God's word. And so if you have your Bibles uh, or your Bible app, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to read two short verses for us, verses 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13. And it should be on the screen as well. The Apostle Paul, he writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. I've tagged our time, and and I just want us to sit with this thought today, coming home to community. Coming home to community. You know, it's amazing to me how different families can all look and function so differently. Like, take, for example, um, Allie, my wife. Right? If you were to peek in on her family during dinner time, what you would find is that the TV would always be on. Okay? It doesn't matter what's on, but the TV is on. And, and her and her brothers and her parents are just eating in silence. They're watching TV, eating in silence. No, how was your day? No, you know, what's going on in your life? Now, my family, on the other hand, if you were to peek in on our dinner time, what you would find instead is that TV is never on. And what you would hear is 12 adults, all of my siblings and their spouses and my parents, all of us talking at the same time. Like we're all talking over one another. You have to be loud to be heard within my family. And, and so you can imagine it's, it's a culture shock whenever Allie joins my family for dinner. And, and in the same way, it's a culture shock for me to go have dinner with her family. Now think about your own family. Maybe yours was a little different from mine or from Allie's. But whether we realize it or not, our families are are perhaps the biggest influence on helping us to form what community really is, what what it's about. 
Like, whether we like it or not, our families, what we grew up with, were our first community. And, and, and from the different pictures that each of us had, all of us have formed different beliefs about what a community should look like, what it should be about, what it should value. So it's no wonder why different people can have such different perspectives on what true community really is. It's no wonder why some people can even be a part of the same community, like say a church, like us here, and everybody has a different idea about what that community should, should look like, what it should be like. Well, today, I just want to give us a quick reminder. I want to point us to God's perspective about community. I want us to see what he has to say about what his community in the church should be like. And, and while I understand that many of the things I might be saying to some of you might not be new, um, I think it's important for us to remember that as we're trying to shape our community, right, and that, that's what we're doing here at Redemption, we're shaping, we're trying to become a gospel-centered community, I, I think it's it's only right that we don't try to define community based off of what each of us think. Because again, all of us think different things. But we need to define community as God says it is, as, as his word says it is. And so from these two verses that I read earlier, I just want us to see first that true community is formed through a gospel-centered identity. True community is formed through a gospel-centered identity. Look at these verses again. Paul says, for just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Did you notice how many times the word one showed up in these two short verses? And what you need to see here is that there is a oneness that should mark the community within the church that is more profound than I think many of us realize. You see, when you look at scripture, and, and specifically a, a book like Ephesians, did you know that there are only three human relationships that are so deep and so profound that, actu that God actually caused those relationships to oneness? There are three human relationships that stand apart from every other relationship, and God calls these relationships to be one. And here they are. Those who are united to Christ are one in Christ. Those who are united in marriage, man and wife, are one together. And the last one, I think many of us, we don't think about. Those who are part of the church are one with one another. What you need to see from Scripture's point of view is that God doesn't view the community. He doesn't view the church the way many of us view it. God sees our community as more profound, more deep, more precious than I think we often realize it is. He even brings it to the level and the intensity of marriage. But see, many of us, we think that community is something that we find. We think that community just happens when we find people with similar interests or ideologies or life experiences. And while those things can, yeah, they can create connection between people, I think true community, it requires something deeper. True community, it requires a oneness that goes to the core of your identity. And hear me, if your identity is based, like who you are, how you define yourself, if that is based on circumstantial things like a career, like a relationship status, 
like your passions or your interests in life. And if you start looking for community with people who have similar things, then what you don't realize is that your community with those people, it'll only ever be as strong and as permanent as your circumstances. And what 2020 and this pandemic should have taught you is how quickly our circumstances can change, how unstable our lives actually are. But see, that's why God's view of his community, of his church, it can be so much more deep, so much more lasting, so much more profound than what we can find on our own. Because here it, God's community is based on an identity that he gives to his people that isn't based on anything they do or they earn for themselves. No, our identity in this community, it, it isn't earned, it's given. That's why Paul says in verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And he goes on to say, we were all made to drink of one spirit. That is who we are. That's a description of every person within God's community. They're baptized. They're marked by the spirit. And what you need to realize about that is that those are passive descriptions. You didn't baptize yourself. You didn't drink the spirit yourself. No, these things had to be done for you. And who did it for you? God did. Through Christ, through his sacrifice, he gives his people a new identity. The gospel is now our identity. It's the, our new story, this story that Christ did for each of us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That Christ earned for us more than we could have earned on our own. And when you have a group of people that understand that, hey, that is our common story, that is our common identity, when the gospel goes to the core of yourself, that is where true community is formed. And it doesn't matter whether or not we share the same life experiences. It doesn't matter whether we share the same race or ethnicity. It doesn't even matter whether our politics are the same. In gospel community, the only thing that matters, the only thing that trumps everything else is Christ himself and what he has done for each of us. See, that trumps everything else, and that's what draws us together as a community. So I want you to see true community is formed through a gospel-centered identity. But the second and the last thing that I want us to see, I told you this was going to be short. True community, it needs each person's investment. True community needs each person's investment. You see, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 12 because he understands that just because we have the same gospel-centered identity, it doesn't mean that we're all going to look the same. It doesn't mean that we're all going to act the same way. Not at all. No, a gospel-centered community should look as diverse as each of the gifts that make it up. And so Paul goes on to teach that a true community really needs every single diverse gift that God brings into the community. That's why in verse 14, he says this, for the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. Because see, Paul understands the tendency of our sinful hearts to distort or to equate differences and diversity with division. So where the gospel calls for diversity, Sin will always try to distort that and twist it to create division. Now, how does sin do that? Paul says the first way sin divides our community is it convinces our hearts that the community doesn't need me. 
That's why in verses 15 to 20, Paul describes how some of us look at ourselves, looks at our gifts, looks at our value, and we think we're expendable within the community. Paul uses the human body as a metaphor. He says it's like an ear that thinks to itself, hey, because I'm not an eye, because I can't see the way an eye does, I must not be needed. You see, this is what happens in communities. This is what happens in the church when we view ourselves and our investment as expendable to the community. And that's why a lot of us, we, we don't show up, at least consistently. That's why many of us, we're not committed. That, that's why many of us, we don't serve because we don't believe that us and our value and our gifts actually make that much of an impact. We think to ourselves, hey, the church is going to be fine. Somebody else is going to do it. And, and it doesn't matter whether I invest or not. So that's the first way that sin divides the community. The second way, Paul goes on to talk about how sin divides our community in verses 21 to 26. And it's how sin convinces our hearts, not that I'm not needed, but that he's not needed, or she's not needed, or someone else within the community isn't needed. See, continuing with this human body as a metaphor, he says, it's like your hand that looks at your eye and says, hand, because you can't do what an eye can do, you're not needed. See, this is what happens in communities and in the church when we look at someone else and we think they're expendable. And as sad as that is, the church has become known for doing this. Churches and Christians are experts at ostracizing, at judging, at othering those that we see are different because of their race, because of their gender, because of their sexual orientation. Christians in the church, as sad as it is, we outcast people because they're different and we think to ourselves, hey, our community doesn't need that person. You know how Paul responds to both of those attitudes, the one that says, I'm not needed, but also the one that says, he's not needed or she's not needed? He says the same thing. He says it in verse 18 and then again in verse 24. He says these two words, but God. But God. In verse 18, he says, but God arranged the members of the body. And then in verse 24, he repeats it. He says, but God has so composed the body. But God. Paul reminds us it's all about God, what he is doing. That, that this community here, it's not any of ours. It's actually God's. It belongs to him, and it's actually up to him to decide what is needed and what is expendable. Paul is saying, you might think you know what's needed and what's expendable, but God. But God knows better. Can you trust that God knows better than you? Can you trust that God thinks different, he sees different, he values you and those around you different than you? Friends, what would it look like if each of us truly believed that God is the one arranging this community here? What if each of us truly believed that, that we're here not by accident, not because a job brought us to San Francisco, not even because we like the music or the preaching or some of the people here at Redemption, but we believed that God in his perfect wisdom is arranging and knitting together this community himself. And if our God doesn't make mistakes, and I'm telling you today, he doesn't make mistakes, then shouldn't we believe that, that you 
and the people around you, every person here with their unique gifts and passions and life experience is absolutely needed here. How much more committed would we be to this community? How much more eager would we be to step up and volunteer and fill in gaps and fill in holes if we believe that God is actually in the process of making and doing something really beautiful in us and through us? You know, when I was in middle, middle school, I was part of my school's orchestra. Believe it or not, I played percussion growing up. And so I played everything from cymbals to the timpani to the cowbell. I don't mean to bra brag, but I play a mean cowbell. Um, and, and I don't know if any of you have actually heard some of these instruments yourself. Like if you have heard a timpani by itself. Let me just tell you, the timpani is not a good sounding instrument. Like it's loud, there's no melody, it's just basically a big booming sound. And so I remember when I'd be practicing in rehearsals and you know, I'd be, with the timpani, you're just holding rest notes for a long time and then you hit it once in a while. And, and I just remember as I'm playing the timpani, like thinking to myself, why did I pick this instrument? I would rather be playing something that sounds good or I'd be hearing other instruments that I didn't think sounded good, like the the trombone or the tuba. No offense if you play the, the tuba or the trombone, but, but these aren't instruments that can carry a tune the way that a violin does or a saxophone does or a trumpet does. It seems like there are certain parts, certain instruments in an orchestra that, that serve as fillers. They're just filling in random moments and they're playing progressions that just don't sound good, at least not by themselves. But then there'd be those moments, right? When, when the orchestra director, he pulls it all together. He pulls all the pieces together. When every instrument is doing exactly what it's supposed to do, playing when it's supposed to play, and doing it all together in harmony, it's amazing the kind of sound that an orchestra produces. It's amazing how every instrument, no matter how bad it sounded on its own, when you put it together, it adds a layer of music that is just beautiful. Church, hear me when I say that that is a picture of what God is doing here in this community. He is the expert orchestra director. He is the one arranging the pieces of our community. God is that composer that brings people, that brings gifts into this community, and it's absolutely necessary for what he wants to do with us. And what does God want to do with us? God wants to paint the clearest picture of how beautiful, how worthy, how glorious his perfect son is. God is actually displaying Christ to this world through us and through our community. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul says, now you, our community, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Friends, as I close, I just wanna say this is what each of us gets a, a chance to be a part of when God calls us into community together. We get to be the body of Christ. We get to display how beautiful Jesus looks to a world that desperately needs him. And, and hear me, we do this most effectively when we're loving, when we're serving, when we're living out the character and compassion of God to one another and with one another here in San Francisco. And so my hope and my prayer is that each of us would be committed to this, 
I pray that, that you would use your gifts and you would encourage others around you to use their gifts as well to see what God is building here. And I have to believe that as more of us invest, as more of us value this community more and more, Christ would be displayed, Christ would be magnified clearly to this world as it watches what's going on here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the community that you are building within your church. God, I thank you that you don't call us as believers to live the Christian life alone, to figure this spiritual journey out alone, but that you call us into community. And, and I, I'm thankful that the, the thing that draws us together isn't something that, that we can change, isn't something that the world can change, but it's, it's grounded in and it's based on what Christ has done for each of us. And so I pray that as we uh, understand the gospel more and more, I pray that as we uh, cherish it more and more, that what we would start seeing is people come to, coming together here in this community. I pray that we would start uh, discovering hidden gifts within this community. I pray that you would start to build something that is so beautiful that the world will take notice of it and that they will also want to be a part of what you are building here at Redemption. So again, I thank you for this community. I pray that um, you would glorify yourself through it and, and that you would, you would continue to, to do the work that we know that you are doing here at Redemption. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.